0: All right, well, good morning to everyone and welcome to The Well here at STSA where we are in part five of a series called Blind Faith where as you saw from the little uh, intro video, we're talking about one of those things in Christianity that we kind of take for granted, which is faith. Where does faith come from? How does it grow? Why do we believe what we believe? Is it truly just blind or is it a little bit more to it than that? And I want to start off today, I want to jump straight in because we got a lot that we want to cover here. I want to start today with our key thought. That I'm going to throw out to you right now, and we're going to spend the rest of the time trying to understand what I'm saying right here. And that is this. Here's our key thought for today. Our key thought is: I don't have to understand everything in order to believe something. Say that with me. Say, repeat after me. I don't have to believe everything in order to. I'm sorry. I don't have to. (laughs) I don't have to understand everything. In order to believe something. something. Me, by my nature, I'm an inquisitive person. Maybe some of you out there can relate to what I'm about to say. I like to learn new things. I like to discover stuff. I like to figure stuff out. Like the whole DIY kind of world. I love stuff like that. I love it when a repairman comes to my house. I'm like the annoying customer. I follow him around. Why'd you do that? And what does that do? And I'm asking questions because I want to learn. Because I don't want to pay every single time. And I just like to figure stuff out. I don't like to use stuff until I understand how it works. Like I'm the guy who reads the entire manual because there might be a feature which goes unnoticed unless you read the entire manual. I like to figure stuff out. But there's some things in life that you'll never figure out. Or some things in life, at least that we can say, are really difficult to figure out, and you gotta make a decision, am I willing to use it or believe in it even though I don't understand it? I'll give you an example. I remember when I was younger, I don't understand medicine. I'll be honest, I still don't understand medicine. I don't understand medicine. I remember when I was younger, I had something with my knee. The doctor said, take this ibuprofen or whatever it was called. Then I had something a couple years later with my neck. Said, take the same medicine. I'm thinking to myself, how's that medicine really smart? Like, how does the medicine know whether to go north or south or east or west? Like, how does the medicine know? And even though I couldn't understand how the medicine know, no, go to the knee this time. No, go to the neck this time. I trusted in the medicine and I benefited from it. I'll give you another one. Children from the 80s will understand this one. Maybe some of the 90s don't even know what this is. Y'all remember fax machines, okay? I don't understand fax machines. Like how do fax machines, like the closest you will get to living in the Jetsons is a fax machine as far as I'm concerned. Because I put this piece of paper through the machine and then like Star Trek, beam me up Scotty, somehow it gets beamed all the way over there. And I remember just thinking to myself, like, how does it work? I used to think there's like, there's little monkeys inside there, or something like that, that just get a picture and they're typing up the exact same thing. I don't understand how fax machines work. Let me tell you another one I don't understand. This one is actually more recent. I still don't understand. This one, if someone can explain it to me. I would be happy to learn. I remember we were at a, a birthday party or whatever it was for the kids or some kind of event for the kids, and they had one of those... Sheet cakes, you know, those those like those very cheap ones that are just like quantity, okay, not quality. And they're light, but they're just, they're junk, like they're garbage, like they're 3.99 for the one that expired last week or whatever, like that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. I love that stuff, like I love it. I could eat that icing, like I could eat that for breakfast, okay, if someone would allow me, and tell me that's okay. I looked at the package for that sheet cake. It said net weight, two pounds. <clears throat> How if I ate the entire cheesecake I would gain 10 pounds when the whole, or the, the, the cake, the sheet cake, I'd gain 10 pounds when the thing only weighs two. That's when I started thinking to myself, okay, I can eat half of it and only gain a pound. Like I can do this. But I don't understand how that works. Scientists maybe can help me out. I'll tell you another one. And this is one that every single day I have to make a decision. Am I going to have faith in what I don't understand or not? I don't understand. You know when there's a light that has two switches that make it work? You know this? You know what I'm talking about? Like I understand how this is a light. There's an on and off. I get it. On connects whatever receptacles or wires or, or beams or protons, I don't know, off, makes them go disconnected. I get that. But how is it that there's sometimes a light that has a switch over there and a switch over there? I don't get it, I don't make any sense to me. But every night I have to make this decision. As I get into bed, my wife gets into bed, all the kids are in bed, and all of a sudden realize the light downstairs is on. But there's a switch upstairs. And I have to make a decision. I don't understand the upstairs switch turning off the downstairs light. I don't get it. Doesn't make any sense to me. But every single night, I make a decision. I say, you know what? I choose to believe in that which I don't understand. I choose to believe in the upstairs switch even though I can't explain it. It'll never make sense to me. I don't even think that it should be legal, okay, to be allowed whatever's going on on the wall to allow an upstairs light switch turn off a downstairs light. But I choose sorry for the lack of the, for the expression, you Can you get with me, to place my trust in that light switch. I choose to believe in that light switch, and I reap the benefits because I don't have to walk downstairs when it's really cold and very far away at night. We're in a series called Blind Faith, and what we're looking at in this series is we're taking the gospel according to St. John, and we're looking at the seven signs of John. And what we're looking at them for is because John, when he wrote his gospel— different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Like those guys wrote much earlier. They were trying to tell the story of Jesus of Nazareth, who this man is, and he's more than a man, that he was son of God. John is writing his gospel much, 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 much later. And John is not writing it as a documentary or a story to tell the details of his life as much as he's writing to make a case for something. He has an agenda, he has a purpose, and he is arguing, not just telling you the story of who Jesus was, but arguing his identity and why we should believe that he is the son of God based on, 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 on how he lived his life. One Orthodox priest named Father Lawrence Farley wrote in his commentary on the gospel of St. John, he says, the language, he's describing how John wrote his gospel different than the others. The language of thrust and counterthrust, of question and answer, of sustained argument, makes it clear that John is not simply telling a story. He's arguing a case. Like John's gospel talks a lot about his interaction with the Pharisees and how Jesus did and then the Pharisees did and then Jesus did. And what John is saying right here is, or what, what, what the priest is saying right here is that John is making it, he's a lawyer, he's arguing. And he's saying, hear ye all ye in the jury right here today. And I, wanted, I, want you to know, I, wanted, I know that you have lots of questions about who this Jesus of Nazareth is. And there's lots of funny ideas about there. Some people say that his, him and his followers are like sorcerers because they did all these magic and these, these tricks. And some say that, that, that we who follow him, we're pagans because we deny the system of the gods. So we don't really believe in any gods. So we're like atheists. That's what people would say about them. Some say that we're cannibals because we talk about eating his flesh. But let me tell you the truth is that this man was from God and he was not an ordinary man. He is the only begotten son of God. Don't ask me to explain it because I don't understand it because I'm just a simple fisherman. But he proved it time and time and time again that he is not an ordinary man that he is the son of God and I trust in him and I believe in him and I give my entire life, submit at his feet because of what I saw and what I experienced. And I'm telling you, you should do the exact same thing. And that's why he writes at the end of his gospel, these signs, okay, his gospel is written on these signs. These signs are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John says, He said it, and then he proved it. And I want to walk you through, by writing his gospel, how I came to believe that this man who just seemed like an ordinary rabbi, how I came to believe that he is the son of God and that believing I found life in his name. So what we're doing every week is we're going through one of the signs of, there's seven signs in the gospel of John. Okay, I told you they're not miracles. They're not random acts of kindness. They're signs that pointed to his identity. We're in week five, but we're on sign number six because there's seven signs, but only six weeks in the series. So we kind of had to kind of fast forward one. And, and last week, we looked at the five loaves and the two fish. Okay, the one that happened right after that is when Jesus walked on water. We're gonna kind of skip over that one and jump to the sixth sign, but again, only the fifth week. So what you missed so far, if you're just, stu- or if you're just tuning in today for the first time, previously on Blind Faith, okay? <laughs> what you missed so far? As we're seeing, we're following the life of Jesus and Jesus really spent his time for most of his public ministry between two general areas, Galilee and Judea. Okay, those would be like the counties. Galilee up in the north, okay, the Sea of Galilee, that's where the fishermen were. And then Judea, and that's what housed Jerusalem. Jesus would go between the two. Galilee, things were calm, things were peaceful. Things were kind of easygoing. That was wedding of Cana at Galilee, okay? That's where the five loaves and the two fish. Judea, Jerusalem, that's where all the action happened. Every time he went to Judea, there was drama. He would go in the temple and flip stuff, and people would yell, and people would scream. And then he would kind of escape back to Galilee for a breather. Then he'd go back down to Judea, and he would go, and like we saw a couple weeks ago, that man who was the paralyzed man, he went down there, and he healed him on the Sabbath, and then they had to fight in the temple, and he said, and he said, and then he would go back up north, okay, spend some time with the disciples, teach by the sea. That's where he did the miracle of the five loaves and two fish. So up north, peace. Down south, drama. What it seemed like, Jesus would kind of go down, ruffle all the feathers, and then just when they're about to, he would kind of escape back up north and take a little breather. Well, today we're going to see in John chapter 9, he's back in Jerusalem. So we know we're going to have some fun today, and it's going to be feisty. We're going to pick up the story here in John chapter 9, starting at the very beginning. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. We talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago, but just again to to remind you that in in the ancient world, they had in their mind, there was a cause and effect relationship between sin and suffering. And they believed that if someone was suffering, they must have done something wrong or their parents must have done something wrong. So the disciples see this guy and they basically say right in front of him, no shame, not even like wait till afterwards, but just right in front of him, because this was common. They weren't hiding it. Like, you would think if you were gonna ask this question, you'd do it like this, but no, it was common that Jesus, this man is clearly, quote, getting what he deserves. But just curious, what did he do? Was it his parents? Like, this was the common understanding. You can only imagine how awful a society was when they saw anyone who was sick, anyone who was handicapped, anyone who had any kind of, 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 of illness, and they automatically thought, He must be a sinner or his parents must, like you can imagine the trauma that would cause a mom and dad, okay, to watch their son born blind. And by the way, when it says born blind, it doesn't mean that like had eyes that didn't work. It means that he was born without eyes. It means like he never saw. He came out the womb like missing something in his eye sockets. Like, I don't know what was missing there, but he never saw anything. So it was clear that it wasn't an accident that caused his blindness. So it must be his sin. His sin or his mom's sin or his dad's sin? It's an awful way to think. But let's be honest, we may not articulate it in the same way, but we kinda all have a little bit of this inside of us, don't we? We all got a little bit of one plus one should equal two, right? We all got a little bit of whose fault is it? Okay, I have this this trial in my life, whose fault? Ah, it must be because I did. Or it must be because my mom did. Or it must be because my dad didn't. And as awful as it sounds, we kind of understand it. And now I'm not saying that, that, that there isn't times where sin does lead to suffering, for sure. You drink too much, you're gonna have problems with your liver, okay? You smoke too much, you're gonna have a problem with your lungs, okay? Like our moms taught us when you take a shower and you go outside in the cold with the wet hair, like you're gonna get pneumonia or die or whatever it may be. Like we, we know that there are times where our suffering is 100% directly correlated to our sin or the sin of somebody else. But Jesus does something right here. Jesus introduces, there's a new category of thinking, a new way of thinking, another option. It may not be your mom's fault. It may not be your fault. He says this in verse three. They asked, who sinned? And Jesus answered, neither, neither. Neither this man nor his parents sinned but that the works of God should be revealed in him. This isn't really our our main topic today, so I'm gonna go through this a little bit quickly, but some people here today, like this is why God brought you here today, to introduce to you a third category, that maybe, and I said maybe, Jesus is saying here, pain can have a purpose, maybe. Your trial your suffering, your hardship, that injustice that was done to you, maybe can have a purpose. And in fact, I'll go a step further. I'm not saying that there's no responsibility. I'm not saying that person who hurt you is not responsible. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, yes, they're responsible. They're accountable. But that's God's responsibility. Like I'm not going to worry about that. Like Leave that stuff to God. What I'm saying is maybe pain can have a purpose. And I'm going to go a step further. And I'm going to say, I kind of always think it has a purpose. And I think that purpose, maybe, maybe the best thing that ever happened to you in life. I know that's hard to hear. But again, I think there's some people today, that's oh, you just need to hear that, if nothing else. But the only way you're going to find that purpose, the only way you're going to find the best, the only way you're going to get to that point for the glory of God is you must stop looking to blame and start looking to heal. And that's what Jesus did right here. Jesus said, stop focusing. We're going to stop focusing on what others did. We're going to stop focusing on what he did. We're going to start focusing on what I want to do. And I think some people here, like I said, need to hear that today. Is that maybe, again, I'm just saying maybe. I'm not trying to involve myself in your business. Maybe it's not your mom's fault. Maybe it's not your, maybe whatever it is you're blaming your parents for, maybe it's not their fault. Maybe it's not your kid's fault. Maybe it's not your wife's fault, your husband's fault. Maybe it's. No one's fault. Maybe it's just one of those, it just is. And maybe if you stop looking for whose fault it is and start looking for how I can find healing and not what so-and-so did, but what God is trying to do, maybe you'll find it. You say, I don't understand that. Well, I already told you the theme of today is you don't need to understand everything in order to believe something. Jesus goes on, verse four. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus always did this. Jesus was asked a question by his disciples. Who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus said, neither. And then he said something strange. He always did that. Like They asked him a simple question. He said, neither. They're waiting for some kind of explanation. And then he said something about working in the day and in the night. And we really understand what Jesus is saying. But what he is doing, as he always does, Jesus lifts the conversation from here to here. He lifts it up from higher. Y'all are looking for fault? Whose fault? He said, I'm done with no fault. I'm done with fault. I'm looking for, where do we go from here? Y'all are looking for blame and condemn? I'm looking for healing and future and purpose. And what you see right here when Jesus, again, this is kind of where, where, this is a sign. Jesus is pointing to his identity. Compare Jesus, New Testament, to law, Old Testament. Compare Jesus, New Testament, to law, Old Testament. You see this exact Discrepancy right here. The law came as a judge. You did this wrong. You sinned here. You messed up. You fell short. Jesus didn't come as a judge to place fault. Jesus came as a physician to heal. You need this medicine. You need that medicine. You need to try exercise this. You need over there. Jesus didn't come as a judge. He came as a physician. The law came to give guilt. Jesus came, and the result of Jesus coming is grace. This is his identity story goes on. Verse six, when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. If there's ever a time where I wish the scriptures had more detail, it's right here. So many questions, so many questions, so many questions. Jesus spit, made clay with the saliva. What kind of spit was it? Like the loud nasally kind, what we would refer to as a loogie. Was it one of those kind of spits? Like what was the distance? Like these are the unsolved mysteries of the scriptures that we'll ne- unfortunately never know. But like if I could been there, I would love to know these things. Jesus spit and he gets some dirt. He makes clay and he smacks it on the guy's face. Now as bad and rude as an insensitive and just downright mean as this sounds, Okay, again, we got we to gotta go back to the context of the time. In the ancient world, saliva was actually seen as having healing properties. They had a lot of superstition back then. So they believed that saliva, there was something in it that led to healing. So it wasn't as bad as it kind of sounds to us. In fact, okay, for those kind of Bible trivia buffs, there's another time that Jesus used saliva to give somebody a wet willy. Okay, if you don't believe me, go look at Mark chapter 7 when you go home. And I'm telling you, Jesus, right in their ear of some guy. So saliva wasn't as bad as they to say, you should not do this today, but, and if you do do it, you know, you kind of quote Jesus. Okay. But that's okay. (laughs) The other reason that Jesus did this, the saliva, the dirt, the clay made them think of what? It made them think, I told you the guy was born without eyes. So Jesus is pointing to them, not so much as a physician right here, but as a creator. Because when God created Adam, how did he create him? He took dirt, and he gave him the breath of life. Jesus took dirt, and he gave it his own life, the saliva, and he created eyes for this man. Now, he didn't create the eyes, like they hadn't seen the eyes yet, but he is lifting their minds up to his identity and saying, I'm not coming just as a physician to heal. That was the paralyzed man two weeks ago. I'm revealing that I'm the creator of the universe, and I make out of non-existence. There's a nice quote here from a church father from the second century, St. Irenaeus, who we spoke about, Earlier, okay, for those who remember, we talked about St. Irenaeus uh, in a series a while back. He says this about that. He says, therefore, the Lord made clay, pointing out the original fashioning or the original creation of man, manifesting the hand of God to those who can understand by what hand man was formed from the dust. For what the artificer, the word, had omitted to form in the womb, meaning the blind man's eyes, he then supplied in public. Isn't that beautiful? He's showing that this man was born And it's almost as if God forgot to build his eyes in. So Jesus built the eyes for, showing that he is one with the father and he is the creator. Let's get back to our story. Jesus now says to the man, he wipes the spit, the loogie, the distance we don't know. He smacks it on the guy's head with the clay. And then he says something to the man that we've heard this before. He said to him, go. Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent go, leave me, walk away from my presence, go over there. The man, as we'll see in a minute, obeys based on nothing other than Jesus' word. But this makes me pause and ask myself, would I obey? Would you obey? Do you think the man understood what Jesus was trying to do? You think the man understood? Like Jesus didn't explain anything. Jesus didn't say, go, you're gonna find the lake. You're gonna wash, then you're gonna find healing. He didn't say that. He didn't explain how it was gonna happen, when it was gonna happen. Like he didn't say anything. He just hawked the loogie, grabbed the dirt, smacked the guy and said, go. Would you? You're thinking what I'm thinking. Okay, but just a question before I go, Jesus. Just question, just one quick question. Why? Go. Why? If you're gonna heal me, just heal me here. Why I go over there? What's gonna happen over there? Or oh, watch this one, Jesus. I've been in that pool before. <laughs> Nothing happened. I tried that before, Jesus. I tried that before. Nothing happened. So you you must not have known. Go. Well, you know I've been there before. Well, I'm try a different pool. What's the special about that pool? I got another one for you. Jesus, I'm a blind man. Blind people, it's not good for them to walk long distances alone. So, why don't you find a smaller pool, a shorter pool, closer distance? Why don't you bring somebody else to go get the water from over there to here? Like, it's very, I'm blind. I could get lost. I could get mugged. In fact, I'm gonna be honest. I'm a blind man. I'm a beggar. I sit by the side of the street. Man, people mess with me all the time. How do I know you're not messing with me? How do I know you're not just pulling my chain? Just like that last guy who got me to get up and then they laughed at me the whole way. Like Jesus didn't come and say, hey, by the way, I'm the son of God. I do miracles. Did you read my works? Like, did you? like he didn't say any of that stuff. He didn't give him a copy of the Bible and say, read this and then you'll know why you should obey me. He just came and said, go. No explanation. Would you? Would you? Like this man, I'm gonna use the expression that if you're a church person, you know this expression. We sing about it all the time. We talk about it. We rarely do it, but we, we say it all the time. Walked by faith, not by sight. Literally. Like this man literally did what we're supposed to do every single day. What we sing about doing, we talk about doing, I'm walking by faith. What's walking by? For us, it means that we simply, we don't know how I'm going to get a new cell phone this month, but we walk by faith. God will get us a new cell phone somehow. This man literally walked foot after foot after foot. No idea where he was going. No idea why. No explanation. But he walked by faith, not by sight. And it worked out pretty good for him. So he went and washed and came back seeing, boom. I love about this miracle. I love about this miracle, the brevity of it. Jesus didn't say a long prayer to do this miracle. Jesus didn't make this guy say, hey, do you believe? You gotta believe and you gotta believe and you gotta believe. He didn't say any of that stuff. He said one thing, go. And if you had to point to where this miracle happened, it wasn't in a long prayer, it wasn't in a ritualistic way, where did the miracle come from? His obedience. Not his faith, his faith, his faith. I believe and I, and I, I know theology and I can explain. And I, no, 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 no. He didn't have much faith. But he had enough to take an action. He said, go. And I don't understand why. And I don't understand when. And I don't understand what's gonna happen. Uh, uh, uh. He said, go on his word. Man believed. He trusted. And he obeyed. We'll keep going right here. Verse eight. Man is healed in a second. Therefore, the neighbors and those who had previously had seen that he was blind said, is not this man, is this not, is not this he who sat in bed? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. He said, hello, I'm he. And you can understand right here. You can understand. I think this light went out over here if someone was looking. But if it's okay, it doesn't bother me. Okay. You can understand why they were confused because there was no category in their minds for a guy who they saw sitting for years, begging, no eyes, not eyes that weren't working, no eyes. And all of a sudden they see him, he's seeing. And you can imagine, not just just his eyes were open, but you can imagine like his demeanor was changed, like he's jumping and running and he's like, yeah, wee woo. And they're like, this looks just like that blind man. This looks just, I started thinking to myself, you know why they couldn't recognize him as the blind man? It's the same reason why, if you read the story of the resurrection, when Mary Magdalene sees Jesus, she didn't recognize him at first because there's no category in our mind of a blind man to be able to see. Just like in Mary Magdalene's mind, there was no category of dead people to be alive. So once you're dead equals you can never be alive ever again. And that's just logic. And in their mind, there's no category for a blind person to see. Just like, imagine you're watching the Olympics, okay? Imagine next summer, whenever the Olympics are, you're watching the Olympics, and you see, let's say you have a grandma who walks, you know what I mean, she can barely walk, and she's in a wheelchair, and all of a sudden you turn on the Olympics, and there's grandma doing cartwheels, okay, Mary Lou Rutten style doing flips and pole vault and all that stuff. You would see that, and you would say, wow, that lady looks just like my grandma. (laughs) You wouldn't for a second say, that's my grandma, because there's no category for you and to see your grandma doing flips in the Olympics. Well, that's what they're saying right here. They're saying this, wow. That guy looks just like that guy who couldn't see. And he's like, I'm he. They're like, man, you look just like, have you ever seen? He's like, I'm he. They couldn't recognize him. They asked him for the story. He tells them his story. And he says, this man named Jesus came, spit, mud, eyes, wash, see. And they're like, this is incredible. It doesn't make any sense. There's no category for what happened. So what they do is they escalate the matter up to the Pharisees. And this was not, they weren't trying to get anyone in trouble, but this is what people did. When there was a miraculous healing, they went to check with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were kind of like the religious leaders. They were the ones who they had to kind of make sense of things. So the friends are like, we don't understand what happened. Let's go to these Pharisees. Maybe they can clarify and make sense of what happened here. Verse 13, they brought him who was formerly blind To the Pharisees. And I would imagine, okay, that if you're watching this as a movie, they brought him to the Pharisees, the music shifts. Because we know these Pharisees, and we know that when the Pharisees are in the picture and Jesus is in the picture, is when the good stuff happens. And the next verse comes the dun 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 moment. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened the eyes, it was a Sabbath will he never learn when will jesus understand why does he keep poking the bear why does he keep going right up to the the bee's nest and whacking it we saw a couple weeks ago that the pharisees and they they were were pretty strict on what could and couldn't be done on on the day of the sabbath not because god was strict as much as their interpretation of God was strict. And one of, I told you, there's 39 categories of things they couldn't do. Not 39 things they couldn't do, 39 categories. And one of them was that people couldn't need, K-N-E-A-D, you couldn't need. And by Jesus, saliva, clay was needing. Another thing you couldn't do, you couldn't practice medicine. Jesus seemed to have practiced medicine. So Jesus is in double jeopardy right here because he committed two crimes on the Sabbath day. Verse 15. Now, the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. and He said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. We discussed this a couple of weeks ago. Jesus, did he break the Sabbath? No, he did not break the law of the Sabbath. What he broke was their oral tradition their interpretation, the rules they added to the Sabbath. But more importantly, we don't wanna talk about that as much today. I think what Jesus broke is something much bigger. And I think it's this. Jesus didn't just break their version of Sabbath. He broke their God box. He broke their God box. You know what a God box is? You have one, even though you don't realize that you have one. In fact, I think everybody has one, even people who don't believe in God, have a God box. And the God box is the rules of engagement for God. This is how God operates, or at least this is how He should. So, for example, if there was a God, there should be no suffering in the world. There is suffering, therefore, there's no God. You took your God box. And you said to God, you don't fit in this God box. So therefore you're not God. You don't even exist. I don't even believe in you. Or you may say, if God was loving, a good God, a benevolent God, then I wouldn't have suffered the way I did. Whatever happened to me when I was young, wouldn't have happened. Or I wouldn't be whatever state I'm in right now. So therefore, if God was good, this wouldn't have happened to me. Therefore, either A, God is not good, or B, I am not good, and I'm not worthy of loving. I'm not worthy of being cared about. You have a God box. Let's go to the other extreme. The other extreme is, no, God, I'll show you my God box. My God box is all compassion, baby, all grace, all mercy, all kindness, all love, baby, all love, baby, in my God box. And then all of a sudden, someone says, you know, the the scriptures say you shouldn't sleep with your girlfriend. Not in my God box, baby. My God box is all good. Scripture says you should forgive so-and-so. Not in my God box, baby. My God box, my God understands. You create a God box. It's the rules of engagement. Your parents taught it to you. You went to Catholic school. You learned it from your favorite celebrity on her daytime talk show. This is how God should be. Or if we're honest, it's just kind of my own thoughts of how God should be. And if God, God forbid, acts outside of that God box, you say not from God. Jesus came and said, I'm the son of God. This is how we do it. They said, no, sir, you must not be from God because you don't follow our God box. You said to the son of God, not you are not God, you're not even from God because not it fit your God box. My opinion, my opinion, everyone has a God box. Every religion, every religion, I'm saying every, and I'm saying that I'm a priest, so you say every religion, in my opinion, is man's best attempt to define God. And religion, at its core, not Christianity. Christianity, by the way, I don't refer to as religion. Christianity, to me, is history. Christianity is fact. Christianity is truth, and I'll tell you why in a second. Every religion is man saying, you know what? I think if I do A, God should do B. And I think if I do C, God should do D. And I think God should just do E and F just because he's kind of God. I just think that's just the way it should work. And every religion kind of makes up their own rules. And every religion kind of says this is the way it is. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not man sitting around saying, here's how I think God should work. Christianity is Jesus came to this earth and Jesus proved he's God. And therefore we in Christianity, we're not saying we think, we think, we think, we think, we think. We're saying Jesus came and He's the real deal. That he is God in the flesh and he proved it. How? Because he died and rose again. So you know what? Anyone else who can go out there and die and rise again, they have a vote of confidence for me. I'm gonna go with what he says. He died, he rose. I'm going with what he said. And he tells us, he came to say, you know what? Y'all have all these myths about God. Y'all have all these God box. Jesus said, I'm coming. Get rid of them. I'm coming to debunk the myth. I'm coming to demystify. And I'm coming to tell you the real thing. The God, I talked about this a couple weeks ago. Rules are not number one in God's eyes. People are. And God loves. God loves. And God loves so much, God loves so much, God loves so much that God was willing to send his only begotten son in the flesh that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And the good news is that if you have a relationship with the son of God, this is what John would say, you can have everlasting life too. It's free for all. They couldn't accept it. The religious leader said, no, 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 that can't, no, no, no. Our God doesn't care about all the people, just us. That's what they said. That's their God box. It, defined, it just happened to define them right in the middle of the good and everyone else in the middle of the bad. And because Jesus didn't fit their God box, think about this one. The people, the religious leaders who dedicated their entire lives to study and teach and most of the time memorize the scriptures missed the very one they had dedicated their entire lives to. They missed them because they couldn't get out of their God box. Let's keep going right here. Back to verse 16. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner, okay, so in the last verse, that's when they said this man is not from God because he doesn't follow our God box. But other people said, but I, I got a question. How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. Like this is a logical conclusion. They said, he's not from God. And someone raised his hand and said, but, didn't he just heal the blind man? Didn't he like do the five loaves and two fish to feed thousands? And didn't we hear that he walked on water? And remember that story of Cana of Galilee? And remember the nobleman's son? Like, how can he do all these things if he's not from God? They had a debate. Verse 17. And they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. And he said he is a prophet. They couldn't figure it out. So they asked him. They say, you know, just, uh, you know, just curious. Well, what, uh, what do you think about it? And he said he's a prophet. Now, notice this, this is an important point. I'll say it quickly and we'll move on. This this blind man was he right or wrong about Jesus? He said he's a prophet. Was he right or wrong? He's wrong. We don't say Jesus is a prophet, do we? Jesus more than like Elijah was a prophet. Isaiah was a prophet. Jesus was a prophet? No. He's the Son of God. Listen carefully. He was wrong. He didn't understand. His theology was off, but he was on the right track. And what Jesus teaches us right here with this blind man as an example, who knew God better, the blind man or the Pharisees? The Pharisees. The Pharisees knew everything about God. They could teach even though they didn't understand. They couldn't see it, they could teach it. So don't miss the irony right here that the one who was wrong and the one who had no eyes and couldn't see saw so clearly, even though he was wrong about Even though his theology was wrong, he was on the right track. And the guys who saw missed it. Don't miss the irony. I read a nice quote from uh, an author. His name is James Clear. And he wrote, the surest way to prevent yourself from learning any topic is to believe you already know it. That's a good one. The surest way to prevent yourself from learning any topic is to believe that you already know it. That was these Pharisees. Let's go on. Verse 18. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. Now what happens right here is that the Jews have a dilemma. By the way, when I say the Jews, okay, when the scripture says the Jews, it means the Jewish leaders. It doesn't mean all the people. It's just speaking specifically about the religious leaders. They had a dilemma. If he broke the law, he's not from God. But if he healed the blind man and created eyes, He must be from God. They had a dilemma. So how do they solve it? They said, this man's lying. Liar, you're not telling the truth. You made up the whole story because if he truly was from God, he wouldn't break the Sabbath. And if he truly was not from God, he couldn't do this. So you must be lying. So what they did is they called his mommy and his daddy to say, your son did this in school today. And John, the gospel writer, just in case, remember, John is telling this to people who they, they, it's not easy for people to, to believe that God became man. So John is telling this story and some of his readers might be reading this. The Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight. So John is thinking that some of his readers may be like, yeah, how do we know he's telling the truth? Remember, he was the sinner. He was the one born in sin, right? Like he's the blind guy. And just in case John thought that maybe some of his readers were getting persuaded, he adds in there. Until they had to call the parents of him who had received his sight. And for the rest of the story, he's never gonna say the blind man again. He's gonna call him the man who received his sight. But basically, there goes that theory in case you were trying to believe that that might be true. Verse 19, and they asked the parents, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? Parents said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we do not know, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him, he will speak for himself. Parents were scared of the Pharisees. Why? Because the Pharisees, getting called in on the Sabbath by the Pharisees is like when you're driving on 66 and you see the flashing lights behind you. It can't be good. It can't be anything positive. You're in trouble. And the Pharisees just sat there with their little notepads or their little rule books, whatever it was, and they were just looking for people to break the Sabbath. So getting a call from the Pharisees meant this is trouble. So the parents were obviously scared. So they basically said, we don't have any idea. Ask him verse 22 key verse for us here his parents said these things because they feared the jews for the jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was the christ he would be put out of the synagogue and put out of the synagogue you can say excommunicated excommunicated from cult from the society meaning we shun you from society. We ignore you when we walk in the street. You're not welcome to offer sacrifices. No one will hire you to do a job. No one will ever give to your family again. You're beggars. No one will ever give you anything. They were scared that if, if, if they confessed, they would be put out or excommunicated. Now, here's the key phrase in this, in this verse right here, as they had agreed already. Meaning what? Meaning? Our minds are made up. We know we're right. We don't even need to ask any questions. We don't need to look for answers. I'm not even entertaining the possibility that I might be wrong because there's no room in my God box for what you're preaching. And what you see here with these guys, they were willing to go to extreme, extreme lengths to deny what was so obvious in front of them to keep their God box intact. There could not be a more undeniable sign than this guy, who for years, everybody saw him, everyone knew he couldn't see, his parents knew it, his friends knew it, everybody saw this this miracle. See, the paralyzed man was kind of done, no one saw it. This everybody saw. He was blind, he went over there, he came back and he can see, undeniable. Question, how could they miss something so obvious? How could they miss something so obvious? I say there's two ways to be blind. There's two ways to not see. You can be blind because you can't see, or you can be blind because you aren't looking. Some people can't see because they can't see. Some people can't see because they refuse to look. If I stand up here right now and I start doing jumping jacks on this stage, and you walk out here and say, I didn't see that. That's not a problem with me, that's a problem with you. That's not a problem with you're blind. That's not a problem with you can't see. That's a problem with you aren't looking. Because something as obvious as me standing up here doing jumping jacks, if you can't see it, maybe the problem is on your end. So let me ask you this, spiritually. Any chance we do the same thing? Any chance we aren't looking because we don't want to know the answer? This is a no-judgment zone, so don't, don't worry. But is there any chance that some of us today have our minds made up about God? Our minds made up. And if God doesn't blank, fill in the blank with whatever it is you want, then he's not really God. He's not worth believing. He's not worth my time. He's certainly not worth my money. He's not worth my attention. If God doesn't blank, if God doesn't fix, if God doesn't heal, if God doesn't answer, if God doesn't do what so obviously should be done. Then he must not be God. Or at least not a God worth any of my time. The Pharisees made a box. This is what I believe. If God fits in, they believe. Anything contrary must be wrong. Have you ever heard of confirmation bias? You know what confirmation bias is? This is everything today. Okay, just go social media. That's what confirmation bias is. Confirmation bias means... I decide what I believe, and then I just read articles or talk to people who agree with me. So if that article, let's say I have a political opinion. I love the president or I hate the president. I'm not listening to anyone who has an opposite opinion. If I want to believe the president is good, I will find the articles that say, country's never been better. And if I want to believe the president is bad, I'll find the articles that say, country's never been more in the toilet. Nobody's listening to anybody. All we're doing is, this is my opinion, and I just find articles and things to prove it. Okay? you may not know this, but I hope you know this. You can find an article to tell you anything that you want. If I want to go online today and say, I believe that eating pizza is the most complete meal there is out there that exists. You can find somebody out there to tell you that eating pizza is the best thing that you can eat for you. I believe that sitting on a couch will extend my lifespan more than doing any physical labor. You can find someone out there to do that. And did you know you tell me what you want to believe about God, and I can find you two, three, I can find you four Bible verses to justify whatever position you want to take. Is that I'm blind because I can't see? Or is that I'm blind, I'm not looking? Were the Pharisees looking and couldn't see? Or were the Pharisees almost, again, like some of us, basically saying, hey, my mind is made up. Don't bother me with the facts. Don't confuse me. Well, what the story, like, I don't want to know this. Don't confuse me. I already got my mind made up. I don't want to look at that. What do you believe about God? What do you, what's in your God box? I remember one time, a couple of years back, there was a guy who had just became a Christian. He was a new Christian. Okay, he you know, lived whatever life and then he went to jail and, you know, he found Jesus in jail. And it was a great story and it was great, great, great. But man, he came out of jail. And he was like, like really sure of himself, all right? And I met him and he's like, and I remember he wouldn't call me Father Anthony. He'd just call me Anthony. I'm like, that's fine, that's fine. Like he, uh, I'm, that's, I'm not offended by that, but he called me Anthony. He'd make a point of it. And it didn't bother me, that's fine. But it, he was trying to make a point. And one time he said, you know, I don't call you father. I'm like, yeah, I noticed, but that's fine. Like, that's cool. <laughs> and he's like, you know, Jesus said that you should call no man on this earth father. And I'm like, you, you want an explanation? So I explained to him. I tell him, yeah, when he said he was speaking to a specific group of people, specific time, and he was telling them that you guys are the leaders. Don't talk, talk to those guys. They're not rabbis. And then I showed him how St. Paul clearly used the word father many, many times. And you go into the, the church history, 2,000 years, the word father's all over the place. But you know what? You don't want to use it. That's fine. But don't sit there and tell me that you know everything about everything. His answer, no, the true church doesn't use the word father. I'm like, you've been a Christian for 15 minutes, okay? You're a Christian for 15 minutes. I got 2,000 years of history used the word father and you got it all figured out already. Like, come on, man. Like, give me. And I'm telling you that sometimes we do the same thing. Like, that's not blind because can't see. That's blind because I don't want to look. If that was the Pharisees. That may be us too. Let's keep going. Finish up our story. Verse 24. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. Emphasis here on the pronoun We. We know. Basically saying, we know you're a liar. We know. Just admit it. We know the truth. We saw. We know. We know. We caught you. We know. His response? He answered and said, look here, man. Whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Basically, at this point in time, he realizes these guys are jokers. This isn't some, they're not really seeking the truth. I mean, this is a clown show right here. This is a circus. These guys are just trying to put on this little show. So he said, look here, I'm not gonna play your game. He's saying, I'm I'm, I'm a poor blind man. I don't know theology. I don't know the Old Testament. Don't ask me creation. Don't don't ask me that stuff. I know one thing. I know I sat as a beggar my entire life. I know so many people passed me by. They mocked me. They ridiculed me. Many of them spat on me. No one cared about healing me. I tried doctors. I tried superstition. I tried the temples. I tried the the idols. I tried everything. This man came. He spit on some dirt. He wiped it on my eyes, and now I can see. So don't tell me theology. Don't tell me Old Testament. Don't tell me law. I don't know any of that stuff. One thing I know though I was blind. Now I can see. Let's go back to our key thought. I don't have to understand it to believe it. I don't understand how I was healed. I don't understand how my eyes came from that mud. I don't have to understand everything in order to believe something. And the good news is neither do you. There's a lot of things in this world I cannot explain and you cannot explain. I can't explain why that happened to you when you were younger. I can't explain it. Can't explain why God didn't answer that prayer. Don't know. Can't explain why you have this thorn in your flesh, this pain, like I can't explain it. I wish I could. I don't know why God didn't answer that prayer. There's a lot of things we don't understand, but the good news is we don't need to understand everything in order to believe something. I don't need, some of you say, I don't understand creation. I don't understand evolution. I don't understand the flood. I don't understand how Jonah was swallowed by a whale and still alive. Neither do I. But I don't need to understand everything in order to believe something. I don't understand light switches. I don't understand fax machines. I don't understand sheet cakes that weigh two pounds and make you gain 10. I don't understand it. But I don't need to understand in order to believe and to act and benefit. Let's finish up the story. Verse 26. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Verse 27. He answered them, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? He's got a little confidence in him right now. And their response is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's, it's one of those like, if a third grader was responding, how would a third grader respond to, do you want to hear it again? Do you want to be his disciples? They respond, they reviled him, means they ridiculed him. And they said to him, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. In other words, saying like, do you want to be his disciple? Well, like your, your face is his disciple. He got under their skin, verse 29. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. And then he gives them the business. The man answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from, and he has opened my eyes. What he's saying here is two marvels happened today. One marvel that I can see, but a greater marvel is that you people, y'all are frauds. Y'all aren't really looking. Y'all walk around all high and mighty, but you ain't even looking for the truth. You just want to believe your own little God box, live your own little life. What a marvel. Verse 33. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins, and you're teaching us, and they cast him out. Pharisees. was the problem that they couldn't see? was the problem that they weren't looking. was the problem that they lacked evidence. was the problem that they didn't want to see the evidence that was right in front of their eyes. Were they truly blind? Remember a couple of weeks ago when we looked in week two, we talked about Francis Collins, and he said how I was willfully blind? Let me ask you a question. Where is it that you don't want to know the truth? Where is it that you are refusing to see what is so clear? What questions you don't want to ask? What answers you don't want to listen to? And then my follow-up question to that, and I say this very respectfully, is that wise? Is it wise to be so sure that you're right? Is it wise to be so sure that you're not gonna later regret being so sure about something now? Like, we all have evidence. We can all think it's not very hard to think about former things that we used to be so sure of that we later look back and we're like, how could we think those things? And if you don't believe me, that there's things that you used to believe and now regret, go look at pictures from the 1980s. Go look at how we used to dress. Go look at how we used to do our hair. Go look, go look at the, look at how you were in high school. And you say, oh my goodness, how could I have been so sure that that was the right way to dress? How could I have been so sure that God was doing that, that that was the best thing, that was the worst thing? How could I have been so sure that I really wanted this? This turned out to be the, the worst thing that ever happened to me. We don't have to look very far to see that we all change our beliefs. We all grow. We all come to the conclusion today that something is wrong. Look back later and say, we, we, we were wrong. And I say, it is okay not to understand everything, but it is not okay not to look at the truth. And I think John would say the same thing. Here's our key verse for this entire series. John says, these are written that you may believe. These signs were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God and that believing you may have life in his name. John says, there's something out there that, we, that you need to see, that you need to hear, that you need to experience. I saw it with my own two eyes, and that's why I believe. Now I'm telling you to take my word for it, to believe, and then you will have that same experience in your life as well. Let's stand together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you didn't leave us here in darkness, but you as the light of the world came down to reveal the truth. Lord, I pray that whatever God box we entered here with today, that you would obliterate it and that you would help us to go with like a, a, a hit the reset button on who you are, and what you want to do in our lives. Let us never be like the Pharisees, Lord, the blind leaders of the blind, but give us like true Heart that that seeks only to know you who you really are and we pray lord that you would reveal yourself to us as you did to so many others we pray this in the name of your son with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints here says we pray thankfully our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever.